Hello, and welcome to Bringing Education Home. I'm Herb. And I'm Christina. And together we bring you ideas about education, entrepreneurship, and relationships that are both inside and outside the box. If you like the show, be sure to follow Christina on Facebook. And be sure to review and leave a like or uh, stars on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Kara Zellis. She is an early childhood educator, social and emotional learning expert, and curriculum creator. She received a Bachelor of Media Communications and a Bachelor of Elementary Education degrees at Macquarie University in Sydney, as well as an Early Childhood Montessori certification from the Westside Montessori School of New York. Kara is in the process of completing a Master's of Education, and Little Dude has taught Kara and countless children that being kind to others is contagious. So right off the bat, first question right is... What is Little Dude? Who is Little Dude? And how how are you and Little Dude helping Connected. children <laughs> learn how, how kindness is contagious? Sure. Hi. Thanks so much for having me here today. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you about Big World of Little Dude and about kindness and social and emotional learning. And I hope to share lots of valuable information with your listeners today. Uh, so Big World of Little Dude is an educational platform teaching young children three to seven social and emotional skills through a curriculum, book series, toys, and um, a newly released uh, humankind curriculum, which is a 13-week um, program for teachers to teach social and emotional learning in their classrooms. And the main character of this whole uh, Enterprise is Little Dude, who's a real-life therapy dog. Uh, we've been volunteering with the Good Dog Foundation for 10 years, and we visit um, a variety of um, places like hospitals, schools, um, old age homes, universities, uh, delivering dog therapy. And it was just through this experience that I realized that that exchange of kindness and how important it is and how great it made me feel when I went and like did this volunteer work and how good other people felt when they interacted with Little Dude. And I wanted to teach the idea of how important it is to be kind to the children in the early childhood classroom that I was teaching in. So I started to bring in Little Dude and, you know, tell the kids the story of how Little Dude's a therapy dog and about kindness. And I just saw how much it resonated with the children and how much it engaged the children. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. And that's how uh, Big World of Little Dude began. I thought I would write a book series um, talking about, you know, what a therapy dog is and why it's important to be kind. And then I really thought about like, why don't we teach um, social and emotional skills in an explicit way? We teach ABCs, one, two, threes. Why aren't we teaching what is kindness? What is manners? And that led me on a path of exploring social and emotional learning. I love it. That is so amazing. You know, I had the same experience whenever I was in the classroom. For a while, we were able to bring a golden retriever into one of the classrooms and the kids connected with that dog so much and they were able to relax around the dog and just, you know, they love to sit on the floor and read with the dog or scratch the dog as it was walking around the room and those connections in the classroom 
just kind of gave it a cold calmness in the classroom. So I totally understand that connection that you were just talking about with little dude and all the places that you've been. Yeah, there's uh, such there's so many amazing benefits to bringing animals, not just dogs, into the classroom. Um, you know, they, you know, the dogs really provide a calming presence and unconditional love. And uh, there's a lot of research showing that you know dogs can help reduce stress levels. They can help improve concentration, boost self-esteem, and increase social skills. Yeah, unfortunately, a lot of our school districts in this area have turned to uh, no animal rule in the schools at all. So that's not happening anymore, except for with specific animals like a therapy dog. So, Mm. yeah. And another big key buzzword that you talked about right now is the social emotional learning that that's like really huge right now, even among adults. Um, I, I work with um, veterans who are going through certain therapies, and there's so many even adults that don't understand the social emotional learning and the understanding of how to explain their emotions. So being able to bring it down to the kids is so important. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the first steps that that you use to start explaining the, the social emotional intelligence with, with your dog? How, how do you start to teach children about their feelings? Um, so yeah, social and emotional learning is really important. When I began doing this in 2015, it really wasn't such a buzzword as it is today. Um, I did this excellent program through Colorado University where they had like the top professors from Harvard, Columbia, um, from Yale University, uh, from Colorado University, talking about social and emotional learning and the positive benefits it has on academic achievement and um, emotional intelligence. And it really sort of got my interest of um, wanting to sort of learn more and also how can I use this information to create Um, a curriculum or something that can help parents and teachers in the classroom. Um, So, yeah, um, I guess that's kind of a big question of like how to start teaching social and emotional learning in classrooms, which is why I've developed this curriculum and book series to help parents and teachers. But um, to kind of break it down a, a little bit, I mean, I would start with teaching about feelings and emotions, because I guess that's where it all stems from. Exactly. You just have to start like naming the emotions or naming the feelings as you're seeing them. So if your child is, you know, exerting a certain behavior, you might say, oh, are you feeling this feeling or that feeling? So they can start making the connections as well, right? Yeah. And it's about just um, acknowledging that they're having emotions. Because if you think as an adult, like I have a range of emotions throughout the day, I could be frustrated, I could be angry, I could be happy. I mean, in one day, I experienced many emotions, but we expect our kids to sort of just be one emotion in a way, you know, it's like, why are you getting frustrated? Why are you angry? Why are you doing this rather than just realizing that, okay, everyone has emotions, that's okay. And also acknowledging that emotion. So I see that you're frustrated. Um, or I see that you're angry or I see that you're sad. So they have that, like that builds that um, communication as well by acknowledging. 
Exactly. And sometimes when I was in the classroom, we even talked about how you could have two emotions basically running at the same time. So then that's a conflict in your brain because it's like, wait, I'm feeling sad about this, but at the same time, I'm feeling, you know, like happy at the same time almost. And yeah, you know, that's that's a bad example. But you know what I mean? Kind of two emotions that kind of go together. And then they're like, oh, well, wait a second. I'm feeling two different ways. Yeah. Well, you can feel, yeah, you can feel many ways at the same time that's the complexity of being human exactly Mm. um one of the things i was thinking about was that a lot of people when they think of like therapy dogs and things like that and using them like in the classroom or using them in certain spaces that just can't be like any dog at all right it therapy dogs yeah yeah so to um so if you have a dog and you want to train it to become a therapy dog, you just have have to look up um, like a local organization in your community. Uh, you ha- you have to also realize: does your dog have the right temperament? Like, do they bark? Do they bite? Are they friendly? All those, you know, are they very jumpy? Do they give a lot of slobbery kisses? Like, so all those things are not going to make a good therapy dog. They'll make an awesome dog, but just I think that organizations, you know, they're looking for the right temperament. Um, So I think that's a lot of the training is like, does your dog have the right temperament? Like little dude and I have to uh, recertify every year. So, you know, will he be okay around wheelchairs, loud noises? Um, If someone pulls his tail, how is he going to react when he, you know, someone greets him? Are they going to, is he going to jump up all over them? So I think those are the things they're looking for. So it's more about, does the dog have the right temperament? And also they train the, the, the handler, like, how do you interact in certain situations? What are things you say and don't say? Um, and how to sort of hold yourself in all the different situations that you're going to be in because some situations are quite confrontational like if you're in a pediatrics pediatrics ICU or we did work with like foster kids too so some of these situations I, I I call it like hidden it's like a hidden society like you know I went to this school with children with a lot of um, developmental delays. And it's like, you don't see these children in, um, you know, your local public school, for example. Um, And so some of these situations can be quite confrontational. So you just have to be prepared for different situations. Absolutely. And, you know, whenever a child comes up to a dog, a lot of them haven't been either trained or cautioned on how to approach a dog that they don't know. So those therapy dogs have to really be able to handle all those different, yeah, kind of grabs and touches and things like that. Exactly. But there is definitely like steps a teacher can take to, um, you know, if they were interested in getting a therapy dog in their classroom, um, you know, you have to, they would have to go to their administration. They can take, there's a lot of great research done on the benefits of dog therapy. So they could like take into their head of school, the research they've done on the benefits of dog therapy, you know, taking all the uh, strong evidence that you can to state your case of why it would be positive for a dog to be in your classroom. Um, and then, yeah, find a reputable organization to partner with. So you would do a search of you know, dog therapy programs in your area. 
Um, there is a company called or organization called Pet Partners, and that's like one of the most widely used organizations. Um, they can be found at petpartners.org and they offer a really great read with me and walk with me program um, because dogs have been shown to really help with literacy and reading acquisition. Um, so yeah, there's there's definitely ways that teachers can um, have a therapy dog in their classroom if they're motivated to to do that. So how, how do dogs help with reading? That That sounded really interesting <laughs> to me. Yeah, so yeah, there is, um, I have an interesting statistic um, that it was in a study conducted by the University of California on canine reading programs, and they found that students who participated in um, reading programs, they increased their reading fluency by 12 to 30%, because dogs are non-judgmental. If you're a struggling reader, it's like, you feel like ashamed or embarrassed that you can't read, especially if everyone in the classroom can. So if you have to sit there and read to your teacher or whoever you have to read to, there can be some hesitancy because you feel embarrassed. That's not going to help you learn to read. You know, you have to practice. But if you read to a dog, they're not judgmental. You know, they're just going to sit by and listen. So I think that's um, one, one of the approaches that is helpful. That's awesome. And another, you know, in you said that you worked with down to three-year-olds. So yeah. before the children are into school, how are they getting into your program? What are the parents seeing? How are the parents coming to you? What is it that you're doing to, to reach these children before they even get to school to start doing these kind of learning opportunities? Uh, so the book series, I have a book series. There's nine books and parents can use them at home. Um, and there's, uh, in the back of each book, there's like a how-to guide, which is, has activity suggestions of how you can, um, incorporate each theme at home doing different variety of activities. Um, so these are a great tool for parents to use because it gives them the language, the stories, the characters, and some of the books are set to music so you can read or sing the book. Um, so they're quite interactive. I love that the music component because a lot of children, you know, hearing fluent reading is really amazing, but music just does that little bit of a shift that makes, maybe makes it more comprehensive to them or makes them connect with it a little bit more. So music is a great way to do that. Yeah. And also I think there's like uh, different learning styles. So some children are auditory, some are you know, visual. So uh, my program tries to cater to all the different learning styles. And I think music is a great way for students to learn. Like they really engage with music, for example, you know, especially with say transitions in the classroom. If you tell the children, okay, it's time to pack up, most likely you won't get much of a response for everyone. But if you have a song around packing up, that gains their attention and then they start packing up. So music can be a really great uh, teaching tool. Yes. Mary Poppins it. Yeah. Kind of like Mary Poppins yeah. did, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that can happen in the home as well. So whether you're homeschooling or you're just working with your children on the weekend is like, when you hear this song, we're all going to clean up until the song is done. And it's amazing what you can get done in just that short amount of time. And the kids are like either racing to the end of the song to get as much done as they can. Or like you said, they just kind of engage because the music just like 
pushes them forward. And you could make up your own little songs about cleaning up or yes. packing away and you can involve your kids in that process. Yeah, there are there are stories of children who were didn't do real well in school. And then once they started like preparing for tests by singing the answers to the test, then when they were got to the test, they could sing their way through through, through the lessons mm -hmm. and remember all the facts. So yeah, the, the added of the rhythm and the rhythm and the, and rhyme. And the rhyme can really help settle settle those in. So that's a, yeah. a great thing to add into it. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of research done about listening to classical music while you study about helping you retain information. I mean, I did that for my uh, high school exams. It seemed to work. <laughs> well, the, the reason I chuckle is because I'm one of those odd people. Classical music and I don't get along. It okay. actually it actually kind of makes me angry. And so whenever I'm on hold with the classical music is like, get me off here, get me off here. So I had to pick a different kind of music for my studying. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, can you do me a favor and think about, because there's also rules around therapy dogs. I know we're sorry, we're bouncing kind of back and forth, but I've oh, okay. for parents also. Um, what are some of the rules for therapy dogs? Because, you know, we know kids are excited. They like just want to run up to them. Mm -hmm. I've heard that there's some things that parents should maybe like teach their kids about or caution about. I think the biggest one is that you just never go up to a dog and just touch them. Mm -hmm. You know, that's like, that would be the biggest thing. Like if you want to approach a dog, you first ask the owner, Hey, is your dog friendly? That's all you have to say. And the owner will, will know their dog and be like, yep, they're friendly or no best to not, you know, touch the dog. Um, and so, yeah, that would be the first one asking the handler or the owner, is your dog friendly? And then if they say yes, you always just put the, you know, put out your hand and let the dog come to you and smell your hand. And then they like suss you out, like, you know, like, uh, you have a little sniff around and then you can pat the dog. I think that's the general sort of general rules. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I was thinking about is that if the dog is like working, so maybe not necessarily a therapy dog, but a service dog, maybe yeah, as confusing. Yeah. If they're working, it's very interruptive if you like try to pet the dog or right. whatever. Yeah. If it's a dog for, yeah, a therapy dog is different than a service animal. A service animal is for someone that's like hearing impaired or visually impaired, and then you can never touch the dog. Yeah, you should never touch, you should never approach those dogs because they're working. But a therapy dog is, is different. It's there to be touched. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So can you think of um, maybe one of the instances where you were either in one of those hospitals or one of those children's schools and just one of those stories that just kind of like sticks out to you and kind of what happened that was a change? Sure. Um, I can think of sort of, I guess, two stories versus um, we volunteered at the pediatrics ICU in Manhattan and um, we were in the elevator and the doors were about to close and a lady jumped in and she said, excuse me, but is that a therapy dog? And I said, yes. And she's like, we, I have a relative who's dying and we were all just discussing how sad it was that he was never going to get to see a dog again like he loved animals so much and she said can you please come and visit you know afterwards and I said yeah of course so I went and found this man's room and you know when I walked in 
you know, there was a man like laying on the bed, like very still, very sallow. And I asked his relatives if I can put little dude on the bed. And they said, yes. And then one of the relatives took this man's hand and put it on the back of little dude. And instantly his eyes opened and everyone around him was saying like, oh, this is so amazing. You get to pat a dog and like, this is such a blessing. And it, it was like that moment where I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like just one small act of kindness can like have such a positive effect. Um, and that, that's a story that really resonates. Um, um, yeah, that really resonates with me. And then um, another school, we were at the charter school for autism in Manhattan. And um, there was this one boy who was very afraid of animals and they like to bring the dogs into the schools to get children used to seeing dogs. Cause you know, in the city, you, there's a lot of dogs and they want children to be comfortable and like not race across the road or do anything like re be reactive. Right. And it took us almost a year for this boy to put little dude, his hand on the back of little dude and to feed him. You know, every week we would visit and we would make one step closer, you know, one week we would be this far apart and then this far apart. And then, oh, wow. Yeah, so it was just amazing to see that progression. Mm -hmm. And I think the impact that that has, you know, on those kids, because they do see the kindness, the dog isn't going to be mean to them, isn't going to whatever, and then get closer and closer. So building confidence for one and then showing that kindness for two. That's amazing. Yeah. And the patience to do yeah. that for a year and to slowly desensitize them over a year, that that takes incredible patience. So that that's not something I would necessarily be able to do. I don't really have that kind of patience. So well done there as well. So yeah, no, it was great. I mean, I saw other classrooms in that at that same time, you know, that would be one classroom we'd visit and then we'd go to other classrooms and then they'd walk the dog or another classroom were like all about dogs. And so I would let him off the leash and, you know, they would throw the ball in him. So it was, it just, it was a range of students that you would see. That, yeah. And that just goes to show the impact that no matter where they are, the dog can eventually reach probably almost everybody. And so <laughs> I love that, how, you know, little dude is the base of your program and your books and everything, because a lot of people do connect with dogs and animals. Yep. That is wonderful. So if we were to leave our parents with a, one more really good tip, what's something I don't know if it's a rule or a way you can talk to your kids or what's something to really get them to really focus in on that kindness that we sure. want to be. I would say the biggest thing is you are your child's first teacher. So lead by example, be the role model and demonstrate the skills and the, um, and, and, you know, model the behavior that you want to see in your child. So ask yourself, reflect, how do I talk to other people? How do I interact with the world? You know, because your, the ch your children are watching and observing everything that you do. And then that's how they're going to move through the world. So I think you have to be mindful of how you talk to people and how you interact with others, because that's what children are going, your children are going to see first. So lead by example, be the role model, you know, you want your children to be. 
So there's a lot of people who don't who haven't had those kind of role models who are stepping into this position of parent and wanting to do better but haven't had those those lessons of kindness so mm -hmm. where, where would where would uh, a new parent who hasn't really had much of an opportunity to be modeled this how would how would they go about learning how to model this behavior what are, what are some tips for the parents on where they can start to learn these kindness tips to give to their kids because it does start with the parent so if yes. the parents really got it under control they'll all already be passing that down to the kids right but where can a a parent who real who's starting to realize who's starting to become aware mm -hmm. that, that they need these these techniques and tools and haven't had them where can they go to get that i would say start with books and start with kids books because you that's something you can share with your kids and also you're learning at the same time. So like going to your library, finding resources at your local library, because that's free. You don't have to pay for it. And the librarians are always going to be super helpful with directing you to the right books. And then, yeah, if you select some children books about like kindness or manners or empathy or all those great social and emotional skills, that could be a way that you could both be learning at the same time. That, that's yeah, that's actually really funny. It's like, you know, use your kid as an excuse to learn these things. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to teach my three-year-old how to be calm. Hey, I'm trying to teach my three-year-old how to be kind. Hey, I'm right. trying but to teach I, my I think you're like, patience. yeah, yeah, you, you're, but your kids also, like, as a parent, I find, like, my kids are helping me be better all the time, like, in terms of, like, my patience level and all those things and like the way they see the world it's like oh they have a different perspective than me and so listening to your child's perspective is also a great sort of teaching tool for yourself I guess yeah sometimes it's said you're given you're not necessarily the child you want but the child that you need so like they <laughs> to reflect back on you what maybe you need to work on so yeah that spotlight or that yeah. learning through them well, there's also that other saying that that children are never the problem. They're just a reflection of the problem. So if they're acting out, if there's issues at home, then then those issues will come through the children. So by by fixing the problem with the parents, it'll resolve through the children. So again, mm. pretending like you're helping your kids by help, but helping yourself. <laughs> your that's, that, that's yeah. A, yep. It's a nice little hack. It is exactly. And kindness is just a great way to even get started. I'm trying to think about some of the times that we were having kindness issues in the classroom and how like the kids would say something mean is like, you know, today, let's try to only give compliments, trying to build in that compliment system of kindness, or let's draw some pictures for somebody who might be feeling sad and showing that kind of kindness. So all of those different examples, I bet some, a lot of those are in your books and things to help kids. And actually, I guess with the education at home model, mm -hmm. there are times where the parents actually start to become better readers by helping the children go through and, and learn how to read. So by teaching the kids, the, the parents are getting a whole lot of that yeah. as well. So yeah, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. Learn with your kids. Learn with your kids. It's a lot of fun lots of times. Yeah. Exactly. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really appreciate you joining us. Um, as we get ready to leave, make sure you say out loud where um, our parents and audience can find your books and your um, curriculum and how to contact you if they want to find out a little bit more. Sure. Uh, you can head to our website, which is worldoflittledo.com, 
or give us a follow on Instagram at World of Little Dude. And if you want some books to read at home, we have nine amazing books that you can read with your children uh, with themes like kindness, manners, empathy, growth mindset, all these rich foundational skills. Um, And yeah, you can find us there. So is there something that we didn't cover today that you would have liked to talk about? Is there something like, man, I wish we'd have got there. Is is there one last thing that you would like to say that we didn't get to today? Um, I would say like another way is gratitude. Like maybe doing a practice of gratitude every day and saying like trying to find the things that you are grateful for that you are grateful for. And that can be like a positive way to sort of start your day or practice with your children and finding those like moments of positivity. Cause sometimes we can get caught up in like negative thinking or thinking like we don't have this or we're not there yet, but having a reflection of like, these are all the amazing things that we do have in our life. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Gratitude practice is a big part of, of a lot of Mm-hmm. kind of therapies right now so yeah so exactly. start teaching your kids gratitude young and that brings and, kindness and all of it just starts and as you teach your rolling. kids that you'll learn that as well so yeah. make yeah make that make that a daily practice so when your kids start to grow up it'll it'll really sink in and they won't have to work so hard for it mm-hmm. exactly this has been a wonderful conversation. We really appreciate you joining joining us. And don't forget our audience, please make sure that you give us a like, give us a follow, and make sure you connect with our guests because lots of times there's a free gift down in the bottom that you can link to. All the show notes has all the contact information. And we hope that you have a wonderful day and that we will see you the next time. Yep. We're on- and be sure to check out Kara's books and go check out Little Dude. He sounds like a pretty cool little dude. Thank you so much. So lovely to chat with you today. Thank you so much. All right. Bye for now, everybody. Bye.